LFG people, hello and welcome to today's bonus episode of Blockchain Insider. My name is Mauricio Magaldi and I'm joined by a very special guest. You may remember the OneCoin frenzy from its peak in 2015-16 or its highly publicized fall in 2017 when its creator, Dr. Ruja Ignatova, disappeared without a trace and millions, if not billions of dollars. Regulators issued warnings, police departments around the world got involved, victims of the scam came out to share their stories, and the so-called crypto queen is still nowhere to be found. Fast forward to right now, Ignatova is now on the FBI's top 10 most wanted list, and developments in her case have been rolling in. Today I get a chance to talk to the person behind the incredible 2019 BBC podcast series, The Missing Crypto Queen, which investigated the disappearance of Ignatova to chat about his new book. Welcome back to Blockchain Insider, Jamie Bartlett. Congratulations on the new book. Thank you. How are you doing, Thanks man? very much. Yeah, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah, it's been pretty crazy. It's been a wild old ride. By the way, why do you all say LFG? I know what it stands for. How did it come <laughs> to be the thing that you guys say? I see it every morning. <laughs> that is good. Uh, as, as much as GM... Uh, GM oh, good and morning. LFG, yeah. <laughs> Is it just like uh, this positive? It's you know, a positive let's take call it, to let's arms. Take the exactly. Carpentier. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, then LFG. Let's do it. <laughs> LFG. Absolutely. <laughs> so, man, thanks so much for joining. Uh, I'm sure our audience uh, is familiar with you and your work, but for those who are joining today or haven't had the pleasure of meeting you before, can you do a little quick intro about yourself, your background, and how you got here? Yeah, well, I'll keep it nice and brief, but for a long time, I was uh, basically a researcher on internet subcultures, did that for ages and ages. And I, some of your listeners might even remember that back in 2015, I did a TED talk, yes, a real TED talk, about how to buy drugs on the darknet using Bitcoin. So I've, I've been in the scene, if you like, in and out, sort of on the fringes for some time. Uh, so I've written books about this stuff and so, you know, what social media doing to democracy and uh, you know, how the dark net works and anything to do with technology and society. But then since 20, late 2018, I've really only done one thing, which is try to understand how the gigantic pyramid Ponzi scheme OneCoin operated and managed to convince a million people to invest 4 billion euros um, and find the woman behind it, Dr. Ruja Ignatova, who, like you say, has been on the run since 2017. And this month was such a big month because not only did my book on this come out, one week later, the FBI sticks her on the top 10 most wanted fugitives list. Now, is there, has there ever been anyone else from the crypto world on the top 10 FBI's most wanted fugitives list? Is, is this a first? <laughs> is she the first on there? So what a great honor it would be for her to make it another first. She was the first woman to have a multi-billion dollar crypto company, which was unfortunately not a crypto company at all. And maybe now she's the first crypto scammer on the uh, top 10 most wanted list. So the whole thing's gone mad in the last few weeks because everyone's calling me. Every I'm getting emails from people all over the world saying, I've spotted her here, I've spotted her there. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, quite a ride. Quite Absolutely. A ride. Yeah, so your book is called The Missing Crypto Queen, The Billion Dollar 
cryptocurrency con and the woman who got away with it, right? So for those who are unfamiliar with uh, the backstory, can you kind of give us a little bit uh, of a rundown on um, what was OneCoin? How, how did that come to be? Yeah, again, this you, I've got to be brief because I could talk about this forever. And it's very intricate because uh, as ever, there's, there's all many, uh, many sort of subplots here. But this is the basic story. 2014, middle of 2014, she turns up kind of out of nowhere, no real expertise in crypto, but, but she's a very impressive woman, PhD in comparative law. She specializes in banking and finance. She's worked at McKinsey's. And she basically says to the world, Bitcoin is for nerds. Bitcoin is for technologists. Bitcoin is for criminals. Bitcoin is for anarchists. <laughs> I, however, have created a new version of Bitcoin that's for ordinary people like you. You on the street, ordinary man and woman who doesn't get the tech. I've made a simple one. It's centralized blockchain. So if you do forget your password or you do get hacked into, call the head office. I'll reverse the transactions. I'll give you your password back like an old company, but with crypto. And invest now, she says. And just like Bitcoin, and you've missed the boat on Bitcoin because it's already $500, one coin is going to surge in value. And this message took off like you wouldn't believe. Within 18 months, we're talking about a million people, 4 billion euros, 175 countries. And they've got what they think are one coin stored on the blockchain and they go on, they log into their accounts there. They see it. They see the, the numbers. They see the price of one coin going up, but you can't turn it back into dollars or euros yet. It's going to be listed on a big exchange like Kraken or Poloniex or whatever in the next month, the month after, the year after. Just be patient. And so this thing goes on for the speed of growth is phenomenal. And the reason it grows so quickly is because it's not like any other crypto company. It's not you don't buy and sell one coin on these exchanges. You buy and sell them through multi-level marketing. Now, I don't know how many people in the crypto world know about multi-level marketing, but if you've ever done Avon, Tupperware, Herbalife, Amway, these are multi-level marketing companies. You buy products, you sell them to your friends and take a commission of the sales, and then you recruit your friends to sell to their friends, and you take a commission of their sales as well. And so the thing grows in a sort of gigantic pyramid structure. Well, those at the top make a lot of money. And that's what it really was. It OneCoin was a multi-level marketing product. But the genius of it was rather than it being vitamins that, you know, you buy these vitamins and you sell your mates vitamins or you've got to beg your mum to buy shampoo from you, you are buying a digital asset that sits on your laptop, well, sits on the blockchain in Sophia and um, goes up in value. It, like... You don't buy Amway products and they don't go up in value, but she's saying you, this is perfect because you're going to, you just buy our products, sit on it, and in a year's time, it'll be worth like thousands of dollars. So it grew in a, in a, in a very quick way, but also in a, to a market that was not technical. They didn't understand blockchains. They didn't understand hash rates, they didn't, but they'd heard about Bitcoin and they thought this was the next one. October 2017, she gets wind that the FBI might be onto her for securities fraud, money laundering, wire fraud, and vanishes almost overnight, takes a Ryanair flight from, Ath from Sofia, Bulgaria, to Athens, Greece, with at least 500 million euros, but possibly more, and is never seen again. 
And the whole thing is essentially an old-fashioned pyramid scheme with crypto branding. And, and she has been on the run ever since. And in, that's a short version of a crazy story, but that is the OneCoin saga. Love it. And, and interesting, it, it touches so many aspects of human nature in many, many aspects and many sides uh, from, from the story, uh, which kind of, it's, it's, it, it's, it almost sounds like fiction. <laughs> so when, yeah. when, back when you, when you pitched your um, podcast idea, right, and, and, and it went out, what was the reaction? What, how was the acceptance? Because it's, it's very provocative. And if, you, and if you heard this for the first time, you think, People wouldn't fall for it. That's that's impossible. Yeah. But yeah, we're, we're yeah. a very impossible kind of race, right? <laughs> well, that's right. And I think really what there's an interesting question about what responsibility does the crypto community have for policing Ponzi schemes that masquerade as crypto? Because, you know, one coin wasn't really ever a cryptocurrency. But that doesn't mean you could wash your hands of it entirely because it was benefiting from all the hype of Bitcoin. It was benefiting from the dramatic price rise. They were using the same language, claiming to have the same technology. And there wasn't the level of expertise. No one was able to come forward and really call it out easily in that world because they didn't really understand it either. Um, the reason we, I think the BBC got behind the story, and it is like a piece of fiction really, is because I think they were looking for stories about crypto that ordinary non-specialists would engage with, would, would, would listen to. And no insult to the Blockchain Insider, which is a brilliant podcast, and I do listen to it. Sometimes I don't understand what you guys are talking about. You know, it's quite a complicated area. And I've looked at this for a long time and I'm like, oh man, these guys are miles ahead of me. I have no idea what they're saying here. And the BBC's obviously got a mandate to try to target everyone, really people that don't get this at all. And I think they 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 liked the idea that the story about OneCoin could in, could engage people into the world of crypto and how it worked and why blockchains matter and why they work and the risks sometimes of investing if you don't understand it through this sort of hunt for a missing woman because that's like an old fashioned story as well. So they were they were really they really liked the idea that this was a, a way to get ordinary people engaged in crypto. And I think it worked cuz I have a lot of people that say I'd never listen to we were worried when we called it the missing crypto queen that people would think crypto, they'd see the word crypto and be like I'm not into that, don't get it, not interested. So we really worked hard to make it exciting and an an old fashioned story, a chase and all the rest of it, but I, there were times when I, when I was first told about OneCoin in late 2018, um, I, I didn't. I was so confused because I thought I knew every big crypto company out there. I'd, I've worked in this area for such a long time, and I was like, "Why have I never heard of this one?" And I thought it can't be that big. It can't be. I, I'd know about it. And then, and then I, and then I'd go to a Ugandan village, and every single person in the village knew about OneCoin. And then I'd get a phone call from a random person from America who says, I invested £100,000 and some of my friends did. Then I'd get a phone call from someone in Germany who knows 20 people that have invested. And I'm like, it really is that big. Then I'd go online and see Dr. Ruja talking to 10,000 people at an arena in Bangkok. 
And I was like, man, this really is that big. And it's kind of gone under the radar because it lives in the world of MLM. And most journalists ignore MLM. I think a lot of the crypto press ignores MLM because they think it's a bit of a joke. But there's a, it's, a, it's a really big world. There are a lot of people, over 100 million people around the world work in MLM. And so it went under the radar because it was in this like parallel universe that no one understood. And I was like, that's why I didn't know about it. Because I listened to the crypto stuff and they're not talking about MLM. So it was, it was so weird. And so many aspects of the story are like a Hollywood movie that sometimes it is hard to believe. But then you see her appear on the FBI top 10 most wanted list and you're like, it really did happen. That really is true because the <laughs> FBI isn't just going to put her on there because they heard a podcast. They clearly know, uh, they clearly know what's going on. So yeah, it's completely bonkers. But then the world of crypto itself is a bit bonkers. It seems to attract. It's, she's not the she's not the first strange founder and sort of weird story, is she in this world? So it's something about new technologies does attract outsiders and strange people into it. I remember spending a long time with Amir Taki. I don't know if you know that guy, but he created Dark Wallet uh, back in like 2014. He ran the first Bitcoin exchange in the UK. And he's just one of the most, the strangest, smartest, most unusual people I've ever, I'd ever met. And he's just one of loads of people in this crypto world that are just so unusual and interesting. So it does seem to draw in these bizarre stories. <laughs> I think I, I think you have a point there uh, because this uh, it's an outrageously different set of technologies, and obviously people who uh, grasp it and understand will will try and make use of it, good or bad, yeah. doesn't really matter. Yeah. But yeah, it's an outsider technology that, yeah. that, that the insiders now want to get hold of because they can see its use. It's, so yeah, it's like the outsiders use. are in control all of a sudden, and it's really unusual. <laughs> but we, we always say, I mean, I've been, I've been in this space studying since 2014, working directly with it since 17. Uh, the, the whole do your own research, it's exactly that. I mean, if, if you're willing to enter this space, there's a lot of study you have to actually go and do on your own uh, before making decisions. And the reason why we say this is mostly to avoid getting caught up into those types of uh, scams and, and avoid, you know, losing money you can't in, in such a setting, right? So I think that's uh, still something that uh, we'll see uh, going forward. But, but then one thing kind of, is, is a kind of a curiosity is so where did you leave the story back in the podcast and how does it connect with the story or, or the, the continuation of that how the book and the podcast tie up to yeah. each other uh, yeah i'll answer that can i just say one thing about do your own research because the one some of the one coin investors thought they did their own research so, you know, they thought, oh, yeah, I've got, you know, Dr. Ruja has a degree from Oxford and she's on the cover of, she spoke at an event hosted by The Economist. And, you know, I, I've spoken to my friends and they tell me it's all legit. You know, they, so there's a level of research that I suppose I'm still trying to work out because I often get asked, how do you stop the next one? What do we do to make sure people don't fall for the same thing again? Because it's driven by this irrational desire to get rich very quickly and the belief that it's possible in crypto because all the rules are, all the normal rules of play are off. 
because it's so new, so unpredictable. But they've all heard the the OneCoin people. Every single one would be told about the pizza guy who sold his pizza for ten thousand Bitcoin in twenty eleven, and the Norwegian guy who bought twenty seven dollars of Bitcoin in twenty ten, and. You know, there's these stories, and they all were told over and over that that is what you're going to miss. And this fear of missing it meant they did their own research, but they just would find the things they wanted to find to justify their investment. So we probably got to work out like practical steps for ordinary people getting into this space for the first time. What is a reasonable level of research they? Can be expected to do if they're not because a lot of you guys you do want ordinary people to have access to this tech and they're not technologists they're not they don't know cryptography at all. What amount of research can we expect from them to make a smart decision? And we got to I think we got to try and help them along somehow if we're going to expand this out. Um, well, that's that's one of the whole reasons why we have a podcast that is educational is to actually help people. Understand what's going on and and what to prevent and how to totally totally. But we got to pitch it as well. And this this is what the podcast was really about: pitching it at people who, if you say hash rates, they'll be like, "I I don't know what you're talking about." But I heard Bitcoin's the future, so I've found this other one. I'm going to put my money in that. And you're like, okay, let's bring it down a level. Really simple. You know, are they what return? Are you being promised guaranteed returns? Okay, right. How much? Right. Where do you? Why isn't Warren Buffett investing in this then? If you can be sure to get three hundred percent in a month, yeah. <laughs> They're really simple. It's almost like non-cryptographic. It's almost just like basic investment advice. Because I think and, and human nature, right? The the whole FOMO thing, the yeah. fear of missing out, is probably the worst trap in the whole do your own research. Because if you find something that confirms your bias. Then yes. you think your research is done. Hundred percent, and that is exactly the issue. And actually, in the book, I say FOMO is the number one reason that so many people invested in one coin. FOMO. <laughs> so I think we need to be like, here's a checklist. Are you suffering from FOMO? Do you look jealously at your friend who bought Bitcoin in 2013? Are you hoping to repeat the same? You are suffering from FOMO. Do not invest <laughs> your money because <laughs> it's like. It it makes you it makes it, it's almost like a drug that makes it impossible for you to make a smart choice when you're under the influence of FOMO. Like, are you under Absolutely. the influence of FOMO? Please put your credit card back into your wallet and go home. Drop drop your drop your phone. <laughs> lock your phone in a drawer. Yeah, Don't exactly. go back to it until unless you exactly you're investing past it. under the influence <laughs> should be illegal. So um, I think we got to start pitching it at that level because now we're getting to the stage where we weren't even three years ago. Where it's really ordinary people now. Bitcoin is so mainstream that we're getting into people who really are like pensioners who've heard about it, teenagers who are like thirteen with a bit of really, really basic uh, levels of knowledge are now putting money into this, and we got a pitch at those. I think. And um, sorry, I'm, I just wanted to say that because I think that's the whole reason Fully we wrote agree. the book and did the podcast. Really, it's it's that, and that's Absolutely. who it's aimed at. And I, so I um. The podcast we drew, we left it. Um, I suppose, like chronologically, we left it in about 2020, where we sort of left the story. We were on the hunt. We had a few good leads and a few good tips. The book goes. The thing about a podcast is that's really nice is you can have loads of unanswered questions, 
Um, like, what, what about her background? We don't know. What about her connections to powerful organised crime groups? We don't know, but you just put a bit of music behind it and make it a mystery and everyone thinks, great. With a book, you've got to answer those questions. People don't want unanswered questions. They want closure. They want like, where did she go to school? What did her school friends say? When she worked at McKinsey's, who was there? What did they know? So you really go into detail that you don't in the podcast about the MLM characters, you know, what they were doing, how those, how the company started, what the thinking was. We didn't address any of that in the podcast and we were really about Dr. Ruja but in truth behind Dr. Ruja is you know an MLM genius an investment manager uh law firms PR firms all this other world that wouldn't have you know that it would have been hard for her to do what she did without other people being part of the not knowingly in many cases but just somehow being part of the success of the company and then of course the hunt the hunt. So we discovered quite a lot more that's in the book that's not in the podcast about where she actually is and what she did when she vanished. Because that really is the mystery. Where did she go? What did she do with all her money? And, I, and we, I've been able to piece together what I think she did when she got on board that flight and vanished, where she went, how long she was there for, where she went next. It might not be perfect, but it's the theory that we're working on. And and that will appear in a future episode of the podcast in around September. Oh, I really like to, to see that. And uh, so in, in terms of um, the findings around the audience of OneCoin, did it feel like you were entering in the story of a cult? Um, and, and how do you compare that to recent developments in the crypto industry. Is this still something we're falling for? There was definitely, maybe not maybe not even the crypto industry, maybe just the technology sector. You know, the kind of the cult of the founder. You know, the founder's going to fix everything. The founder is not to be questioned. The founder is the genius visionary. Uh, Ruja had that and really played to that. Uh, you know, the way she dressed, the way she spoke. She called herself the Crypto Queen. You know, that was a self-named title. She also, I think, benefited from... I may be, It may have changed now, and I know there are exceptions, but crypto, it, especially back then, was a very male-dominated world. And she really made sort of... Um, she made a lot from the fact that she was the first woman founder of a big crypto company. And I know a lot of investors who said, I loved the idea that there was a woman at last running a massive crypto firm. And that's why I invested. I didn't even need to, I didn't look at the details. I didn't get the tech. A woman founder with a degree from Oxford who spoke at The Economist, that's enough for me. Because I'm never going to understand blockchains, but I can understand that if she spoke at The Economist, and she's got a PhD in comparative law. I trust her. So, that, which is not the crypto mindset. The crypto mindset is like trustless system. You don't trust anyone. The whole point is you don't need to trust anyone. But she was using the old model of trust, where it's like, no, you don't understand the tech, so you have to trust me. But the good news is I have a degree from Oxford. I spoke at The Economist. So, and I, and I wear million-dollar necklaces and speak at events of 10,000 people. So it's like a form of social proofing. Uh, you can trust me because everyone else trusts me. 
And so there was this sort of blind faith in her as a leader, but which was based on a non-crypto model of trust. But that is the model most people rely on in the world. You know, they don't understand trustless systems. So she was smart. She was saying the problem with Bitcoin is that it's, you know, decentralized and you're going to you're going to lose your coins or get them hacked and you won't get them back, but I'll get them back for you. So don't worry about it. So it just, it just made sense to a lot of people because it was their language. It was their world that she was talking to. But obviously OneCoin being an MLM company, I do see certain similarities. I do see sort of evangelists at crypto conferences and everyone worships Vitalik and everyone, <laughs> and everyone worships Satoshi, whoever that may be. Don't sue me, Craig Wright. I haven't said anything. Um, so the, there is a sort of worship of, uh, of this kind of thing that she, she was part of that. But if you go to an MLM conference, um, it's another level. She, no one at the OneCoin conferences talked about the tech. They would just say, you're going to change your... It was like a religious... Uh, you're going to change your life. All you got to do is believe. You got to work hard and you could, it's like prosperity gospel and you can make this happen for you and you deserve it. And you're going to become the man you've always dreamt of being. Thank you very much and invest in one coin. Like no, no technical discussion. And so it was a lot more about faith and belief and hope. But there was still this sort of uh, adoration and expectation that the technology was going to solve all the problems. But it was much more from the MLM style of things than the crypto style of things. Got it. Yeah, that is that is a risk. Now, which which kind of prompts me to ask you, uh, from your experience uh, researching the fringes of crypto and then uh, OneCoin and, and Dr. Ruja, what would we say the top three lessons that the crypto world needs to embrace from these events to kind of try and prevent these things from um, happening again? Because I think it, you, you started off with uh, it's crypto companies and, and crypto people need to carry the responsibility of preventing, educating and preventing these things from happening. What yeah. are the three things we must yeah. do right it's a tough one, and, I, and I, in a way, I, I've been asked that of, of, of what the Bitcoin world should, or the crypto world should do, what the regulators should do, what the you know. But I, I'm not very well qualified to say that. This is more me just trying to put the story out there so you can see it in all its you know horrendous glory and work out what can we do to stop this from happening. Is there anything we can do? So there's a couple, I suppose there's a couple of things that spring to mind. The first is, like I said, the informing people about doing your own research at a, at a very low base to, to, to reflect the level of knowledge that new investors really have. You know, they, they, it's, it's, think about the simplest way of describing something about crypto, and it's got to be simpler even than that. So, 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 so leveling down the level of sort of technical discussion on research and what it means, I would love, I would love there to be, maybe there is now, but some way that the crypto community can get more active in, 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 and bolder, I suppose, in, in spotting straightforward Ponzi schemes 
and trying to call them out more. Uh, I think that's the job for the mainstream press as much as it is for the crypto press. Um, but the other thing that I really noticed that was a real problem was that there were a group of online critics that were calling OneCoin a Ponzi scheme from day one. They knew what it was immediately. But what OneCoin promoters were able to do was to say, yes, we're being called a Ponzi scheme, but Bitcoin maximalists are calling Ethereum a Ponzi scheme, and they're also calling Ripple a Ponzi scheme, and they're also calling every other crypto project is a Ponzi scheme apart from Bitcoin. And some Ethereum people are calling this one a Ponzi scheme. And so OneCoin promoters could say, everyone's calling everyone a Ponzi scheme, so what, how are we any different? Uh, and if you, are, as a Bitcoin maximalist, are calling Ethereum a Ponzi scheme and OneCoin a Ponzi scheme, what you're actually doing is saying OneCoin and Ethereum are kind of similar, which for OneCoin is brilliant because they're like, great, we're like Ethereum, which has like billions of dollars of investment, banks are fascinated by it, some of the world's smartest minds are working on it, and we are the same. So if there's a way, I'm probably being far too hopeful, but if could everyone stop calling everyone else a Ponzi scheme apart from actual Ponzi schemes like OneCoin, because that was a Ponzi scheme with no real technology, with a Ponzi, total Ponzi business model, pyramid selling structure, using MLM promoters, all the money is made on commissions from sales rather than any meaningful tech. Could we just narrow the description of Ponzi to that? Because there's plenty of them around. Say that I don't trust the tech, or I'm worried about Ethereum's technology, I'm worried about its governance model, I'm worried about, you know, Ripple's supply and how that works. But don't call it a Ponzi scheme, because what happens is the actual Ponzi schemes then don't get noticed. So that is my one thing that, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm probably I, being far too help, no, hopeful. I, but. <laughs> I think you're spot on. I've seen um, a lot of people around crypto Twitter, you know, ask for that from the community. And I think it's it's a sound responsibility to have. If everything's a Ponzi scheme, we don't have anything else. We don't have nothing's the Nothing's a Ponzi scheme, yeah. It, nothing's a Ponzi scheme. And, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and conflating two different things and calling it the same will obviously confuse non-initiated, right? Yeah. The, the new guy, the noobs, it the normies. Helps the scammers. The it scammers helps the scammers. love it. They love it. Yeah, because if I'm like the the, the, the proper thing, then I'm then I'm as as valid as the proper thing. Exactly. So it's it's abs absolute uh, great reminder. Crypto Twitter, hear this, right? Please and don't and stop calling uh, things for things they're not. And, now, and please and please and please could could we maybe try and ban the phrase "have fun staying poor" because um, <laughs> I hate this. I yeah, that's I, it, that's it absolute the, nonsense. It was the fear of missing out on ten thousand percent returns that drove ordinary people into putting all of their life savings into one coin because they were so scared that, you know, you're, if you don't invest, you will stay poor. And I know that this is a kind of a meme that goes around, but for ordinary people, like scammers see that and think, great, I'll use this hype to convince them to invest in my Ponzi scheme and I'll tell them that they're going to be poor unless unless they put their money in. So there's like an externality. Whenever you use this language, you know, you know, you deserve to get wrecked, have some fun staying poor, da, 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 da. There's an externality that's felt two years later 
by the poor Ugandan farmer who is finally getting some money together to put into who's the next project. Who's actually poor. Who's actually poor and hopes that this, he's not having fun and he hopes that this is good. He keeps seeing this is his way out of that. So we, we, it, it's a tough one again. And I know I'm being too hopeful, but that, that, there's a cost of saying those things. And it's felt by other people, poorer people who are hoping to imitate the success of the, the big coins. And absolutely. Oh, uh, yeah. Just, it sucks. And maybe you don't always see that. Uh, crypto natives owe this to the world. Like, get that responsibility and, and own it. Bit and of responsibility it, it, over it. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a good call. Now, looking looking a little bit into the future, I mean, for for Dr. Ignatova, what is what is the development that you see from her? Is she ever getting caught? Is she uh, you know, going through massive plastic surgery to become someone else? You yeah. know, what's the what's the game there? Yeah. Well, she is a uh, I think she's living in a golden cage. She's got huge amounts of money, but her brother who she put in charge of the company when she disappeared. He was arrested. He's now working with the government. His life has been ruined. Her investment manager found guilty of fraud and money, uh, bank fraud and money laundering. Her lover pleaded guilty to multiple counts of fraud and money laundering. So the net is closing in on the people that were part of this. There's trials ongoing in Germany, or it's actually a trial just broke down and is going to restart in Germany to, for a couple of her close associates. Her head of security, a former top spy from Luxembourg, the US are trying to indict him for money laundering. He's fighting the extradition at the moment. So the net is closing in. She's the last woman standing, but she's in a golden cage because she's got all of this money I believe she has a fake passport, a fake name, new face, hundreds of millions of dollars potentially. But with the FBI's most wanted list, she's kind of more, she's trapped. See, they've offered $100,000 for information that could lead to her arrest. And I think the number is important because I think they're targeting her bodyguard, her driver, her chef, the people that surround her, that... They say that she travels on multiple fake passports and with people that are probably armed. And I think she travels around Europe. I think she's in and out of Europe, probably mostly staying in Europe and spending a lot of time in and around the Mediterranean or Black Sea on private yachts. On the one hand, you can think that is a... What a, what a wonderful... She got away with it. But, but, but in another, she's trapped... Everyone's looking for her now. We've been looking for her for ages, but, I, you know, we. <laughs> she probably wasn't that worried by us. You get on the FBI's top 10 most wanted list, it becomes a matter of pride for the FBI to catch you. And you know when the FBI's got their... They don't stop. They'll be going at this for 50 years if they have to. And she knows that. So I think she's out there. It's often wondered, you know, is she dead? I don't think she appears on the FBI's top 10 most wanted list if they know she's dead. And I don't think she's dead because I've had so many very credible sightings and many of them point to the Mediterranean and yachts and this kind of world where you can live very secretly for long periods of time. Um, and that's where I think she is. And I, I believe she's going to get caught. I believe she's going to get caught. And if she's going to get caught, it's probably going to be in the next few months. And I know you'll invite me back on when she, uh, when she is. So <laughs> I'll look will. forward to it. 
Good. And uh, yeah, looking looking forward to that. And uh, what's what's next for you? How what's what's your? Uh, next, I don't stop uh, until this story's over. I'm I'm on this one pretty much for all the time because I suppose when you're like a journalist or a writer like me, you 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 dream of a story like this coming to you and you working on it. And even though I've been doing it now for four years, and in some ways I, I'd like to move on and do some other stuff. I feel very grateful that there's a large number of people out there that want to hear it and want to listen to it and want to know what happens next. So I feel a great debt to those people that I I won't stop until we have resolution. Uh, and I suppose it's a bit like you don't go and listen to the Rolling Stones to play their new stuff. You want to hear all their classic, you know, you want them to play Start Me Up and, you know, Sympathy for the Devil and they play them because they're lucky to have an audience that wants to pay to hear it. And that's how I feel about this story. Like, I'll keep playing those hits, man. Don't worry about that. <laughs> so I will stay with this because I'm lucky to be involved in this story. And I think people can learn a lot from it. I think there's a lot for ordinary people to take from this and get clued up on a technology that I do think is going to be more and more important in the future. So if I get able to play a little role in getting people a little bit smarter, we talked about do your own research. To me, do your own research involves listening to podcasts about previous scams and spotting the signs and be like, hang on a minute. I hope there's dozens at the moment of one coin clones, essentially the same thing, multi-level marketing companies selling cryptocurrency that hasn't yet gone to market, but there's a projected price and it will one day. I hope there's just people that have listened to one coin podcast and thought, this is, I've heard about one like this before and the woman's disappeared. I don't trust it. Boom, I might have saved you $10,000. We got to learn from these, the, the, the scams that are out there. There's no better way to learn than getting scammed, getting burnt, unfortunately. And if we can make quality, exciting content that reaches people, I know there's people that have contacted me and said, I nearly invested in a thing and I heard the podcast and I decided not to, and I'm glad because it's collapsed. And so... I maybe can help people if I keep on this story. So I'm going to keep going, especially as the technology's there and Bitcoin carries on and crypto carries on. I've got a little role, a little niche. I can keep pushing it and I'll keep doing it until until the story's over. Love it. And absolutely, we, we must honor this responsibility. Awesome. Jamie, thank you so much. I think we can stop here and wait for the next developments and maybe get you around on the show again in the future. Where can people find more about you and follow on socials or, you know, yeah, track your work? Yeah, Jamie J. Bartlett on Twitter is where I'm most prolific, I suppose, because that's where any big developments that I hear, you know, through the grapevine or I see on in German media or wherever, new things happening, I post them there first. So to stay up to speed with anything new that comes from the story, that's uh, Twitter is a good is a good place to follow me. Absolutely. Let's follow you there. So as for me, you can find me on Twitter as well, 0xMauricio, 11fs.com. And thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you really love it, please leave us a review. It helps us make this better and helps other people find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11fs or Blockchain Insider or email us at podcasts at 11fs.com. This is all for today. Stay rare, stay weird. LFG.